Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I'm your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings, those aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. I'm coming to you today from my purple couch here in my sumptuous apartment in Las Vegas, Nevada, known to some as the hottest city in America. I am joined by my podcast production assistant, Princess Alessandra, who is a nine pound 14 inch long 10 year old black cat and will be possibly jumping on my keyboard at some point so we'll see how that goes right now she's fighting with me over my mouse (laughs) so what we're going to be discussing today is bias and specifically unconscious bias calling out unconscious bias in the workplace so this is something that regardless of where you stand on whatever political spectrum, socioeconomic, um, anything having to do with your viewpoints, it's very important because it works no matter which place you're standing on a continuum. So it must be addressed in the moment. And if you leave it unheeded, what happens is it builds up over time. It's uh, compounding, it's detrimental, and it can not only damage the victim, but can also perpetuate the problem for others and drastically reduce team productivity and effectiveness. I I liken it to, well, Chinese water torture. The drip, drip, drip. It's just little drops of water, but over time, it does massive damage. So when you have staff members who have the right skills to navigate inevitable workplace bias, it removes that tension, builds trust and cohesion, and drives high-performing winning teams and this is going to be a bit about subtleties and i love delving into the subtle areas and to join us today is a guest i've been looking forward to having on this show for about the past oh how long did it take us to get this man booked um wow two months good things come to those who wait his name is bookie musaku he is the founder and ceo of the london-based diverse city I'm going to spell that for you because I love this name, D-I-V-E-R-S-E-C-I-T-Y, Think Tank, It's which is a workplace bias and diversity inclusion consultancy. He's one of the world's foremost, bi- foremost bias navigation experts. It's late for Bookie. It's also kind of late for me in Las Vegas, you can tell. Uh, Bookie has cracked the code for calling out unconscious workplace bias and stopping in his tracks, which he details in his new book. I don't understand navigating unconscious bias in the workplace, which came out on August 23rd, 2023. So, Bookie Musaku, come on in. The weather's fine. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. I'm happy to be here. Heck yeah. So, uh, I read off the official bio. 
so impressive. I'm not even sure I'm worthy to be in your presence. And this is my show. <laughs> so what we like to do here, and uh, and we're going to have a spirited conversation. This is going to be so much fun. Uh, before we do that, though, let's peel back the curtain a little bit. Let's go beyond the official bio and tell me a bit about your story and something in it that influenced you and helped move you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion, which is pretty clearly having to do with unconscious bias because that name, that phrase has only come up 17 times in the past two minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> so look, you know, I, I, um, I, around about 23 years ago, I, 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 I founded a communication and sales training company and I was dealing with lots of corporates. And in the course of, you know, in the course of that, I was, you know, uh, teaching and consulting on communication and sales and in that period, I, I, I came across many different uh, unconscious bias type trainings, uh, uh, initiatives. And I also was on the receive or was experienced unconscious bias my, toward well, myself um, as, as, a, as a practitioner in terms of trying to sell uh, solutions to, to organizations, but more on the former. Um, was I noticed that when, in terms of organizations dealing with unconscious bias, not enough attention was allocated to equipping people with the skills to actually deal with it, to tackle the problem. It was all about awareness and, you know, a test to make sure that people, mostly the majority, were aware of their biases and the impact that that could have on minority and marginalized groups. So, this led me on a quest. It led me on a quest to find out how I could equip people or myself, firstly, because you tend to teach what you, you know, what you need to know, um, how I could equip myself with the skills and then others to navigate, to, to, to tackle uh, unconscious bias. And that led to the formulation of my IDU methodology, I don't understand, and ultimately to the writing of my book, I don't understand navigating unconscious bias in the workplace. Right, 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 right. So you uh, gave me a series of questions in the green room, and sometimes these conversations can be somewhat free-flowing, but we're going to kind of start with that structure, because when I read it over, it mm. really builds a narrative that I think is very important, and I want to help you get this out in the correct order. So we've been speaking of unconscious bias, and we've discussed how it can be career stifling. Can you unpack that a little bit further for us? Yeah, so by career stifling, what I mean is that it can, you know, if you sense that you're on the receiving end of unconscious bias uh, uh, towards you, that is behaviors that uh, uh uh, kind of stifle or, or, or stop you from doing your work in the best way you possibly can, purely because of your difference, be it race and ethnicity, be it sexual orientation, be it age, be it socioeconomic background, um, then it, it, it kind of uh, stops you from progressing your career. So we call that career stifling. 
And when you're part of a minority, and that, again, that could be a minority based on your political affiliation, though I generally suggest you keep that out of work, right? Um, Smart, yes. <laughs> right? Your political affiliation, your age, your race, your gender, your, your minority sexual orientation, right? When you're part of some kind of uh, minority, it tends to happen more towards you. At least that's what you feel. And uh, so... Um, that's why we call it career stifling, because it reduces the representation of certain groups in senior or high profile roles or glamorous roles or on glamorous projects because it destabilizes them. And as a result, they're not able to do their job to the best of their ability. Yeah, you know, uh, it affected me and my wow. my first my first career level job. And uh, people may be looking at me thinking, what uh white heterosexual male had a conscious bias yeah actually <laughs> i worked for a mid-sized organization about 300 employees and the job i had was classified as as being an administrative assistant of and that was part of the role although there were other aspects too it uh it was kind of an interesting role where i was split between two different departments and i was doing things beyond administrative but they had to stick it somewhere in the org chart and classify it for uh, salary and wage purposes. So I became part of the administrative staff poll. Now, and this, now this is something that I experienced and this is something that my boss would frequently advise me to be aware of is, you know, we're going back 20 years. This is right around the turn of the century. And uh, maybe this has changed and maybe it hasn't. I'm not really sure. I haven't really worked in an office environment in almost 18 years. But uh, I, there was a, an administrative poll. I think it had 12 people in it. I was the only male. Cool. And, I, and I don't think I was necessarily mistreated. But I, when we had the occasional meetings of the administrative staff, I could sense that there was a circle in the room that included everybody except me. Wow, and I think, and, and I think, and I think it went back to, uh, I think it went back to just would people have this conception of somebody in an administrative capacity be, which is kind of ironic because the idea of an administrative assistant or a an, an executive assistant was very much a male role up until maybe about 30, 40 years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's so it's interesting how these things change. And I'm not claiming victimhood or anything like that. And I don't think, as I said, I don't think anything was intentional, but I did kind of get that sense that I was halfway on the outside looking in, at least in terms of some of the culture within that group. Right. Yeah, that's that's well, you've actually did. That's it. That's unconscious bias. And, it, and it's interesting that you make the point that um, you're not the traditional victim, but nonetheless, you were a victim, you know, or a victim of it, if you like. Yeah, and, and in some ways, um, it wasn't necessarily career stifling, I don't think, but I did find that I encountered certain challenges uh, that came from a couple of different directions. Um, one of which was, and, you know, when I finished my MBA and I went on to, uh, you know, apply for MBA level positions, and I actually got a couple of job offers and all that. But what I'd run into over and over again is when I stated my official title on my resume, uh, so many prospective employers say, what, you're a secretary? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, even 
even then you could hardly define the role of an administrative assistant in an organization as being a quote unquote secretary. Yeah. Um, there's things that even I did such as, um, you know, type minutes and, uh, and relay messages and triage our boss's email and stuff like that. I mean, that certainly was part of it, but in their own way, every single member of that staff was specialized in their department and did things that were unique to whatever their boss was, whatever chief or whatever director they were attached to. So uh, this was a behavioral health managed care organization. So one of them was uh, actually uh, doing research in, on the DSM-5. Uh, another one was, uh, what, what was her role? She was, uh, she was attached to finance. So they actually had her doing cost projections. So, I mean, there was opportunity to do more than your role said, and that was kind of universal, just the way that organization worked, which I think was a good thing. But, you know, just that idea that I wasn't like the others, and when people saw something on a piece of paper, because I, yeah, because when you write a resume, you have to write that accurately, and you have to state the official title, because if they reference check your employee verify you, um, they can get name, title, dates of employment. And if you and if you claim some title that's way different than what it says on the resume, they can claim you lied. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, um, so you speak in your book and through your teachings of the importance of navigating bias in the workplace, yeah. as opposed to what. That's what you want me to ask you. Yeah, yeah. So as opposed to trying to eradicate it, you know, trying to, and let me go back because I think this is really important, right? So the experience that you described and the, you know, and the experience that I intimated others described, right? Depending on your idiosyncrasies and who you are in the environment and how potentially the, the bias, unconscious bias is hostile towards you, you know, or, or you feel it, it it creates a hostile working environment for you, depending on that, you know, you tend to have a feeling, right? Internally, you tend to have a feeling, right? So if you, you feel that uh, uh, um, you're being wronged in some way, but people don't know, but you can't say anything. And right. internally, you tend, to, you tend to say to yourself, I really just don't understand how people could be so insensitive. I really just don't understand the incivility of this behavior. I really don't understand how someone could be so nice, but then so wicked. I really don't understand how people could just can't see how unfair or the, this, this situation is or how unequal it is or how uncomfortable it is. And the overwhelming feeling that you have is that you don't understand the situation, right? And you're uh -huh. calling it in instead of calling it out, right? And the reason why you don't want to call it out is because you don't want to invoke what we describe as defensive fragility that is you don't want to yeah. get the other person's backup so you don't say anything right right and so yeah. when you're saying i really ju i just don't understand how these people could be so insensitive or or so uh, uh uncivil towards me you know when you're when you're kind of that, that when you have that kind of internal dialogue right um you're calling it in so i always thought well, what if you could call it out what if you could call it out to the person mm -hmm as and when you sensed it happening, right? Because if you could call it out, then you could deal with it, right? So yeah. this was part of my quest. And uh, this is how I came up with I Don't Understand, because that's actually what you feel. So um, to your uh, to your point, right? Uh, uh, what I, you know, I, I started to think, well, how could I possibly call it out? And how could I take more 
personal responsibility for dealing with this. However, the way organizations and virtually every educational um, uh, uh, institution out there, all these business institutions out there, address career stifling, unconscious bias that leads to underrepresentation and and, and destabilization of individuals and poor well-being. The way that they address it is they say that, right, there are these, there's this group here. They are a minority, hapless victim of uh, this uh, majority who are the guilty perpetrators. In right. order to, in, yeah, and in order to be fair and in order to improve uh, um, the hapless victims' way, you know, give them equal opportunity, the majority needs to change. So what they do is do awareness trainings and bias interruption training and it's primarily focused on the majority shifting in the way that they think and being aware of their biases interrupting their biases in order to make the minorities world better right right that's actually if you understand unconscious bias that's actually trying to eradicate it now we are i'll have to say explain that we're all biased we're all biased. Oh, yeah. That's the way we roll. That's the way humans roll. Yeah. You cannot eradicate bias. So when people have this strategy around, oh, let's change the majority. Let's uh, uh, get them to uh, uh, interrupt their biases. They're actually trying to eradicate. It's a form of eradication. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, a massive waste of time. So it's like I don't know. Do you do you sail, Adam? Have you done sailing before? I've been on a couple boats, but I haven't really sailed per se. I think I I think I commanded the will of a catamaran for like five minutes once before I said enough <laughs> of this. But go right ahead. <laughs> well, well, look, you know, you and me both. I don't sail, but I speak to people who do sail, and they say it's a tough sport, right? Yeah. And there are certain constants, like when you're sailing, right? Like rough winds right? Rough waves, sorry. The current, yeah. right? Snow, if it's snowing, right? Rain, heavy rain, storms, right? These are there. You can't do anything unless you can call on celestial powers. There's nothing you can do about these things. They're always there, right? Uh-huh. Right. Yet people for thousands of years have been sailing and getting to their destination. So the question is, how do they get to their destination, given all these things that are happening, all these factors that could uh, derail uh, and, and thwart uh, their trip? Well, the way they do that is that they navigate. They navigate these constants, right? Yeah. And bias is exactly the same thing. We're all biased, all of us, right? Without exception, we all have biases. And the only way to effectively deal with it, or at least that's where I'm coming from with I don't understand, is to navigate it. Not try and irrat, not get pe- not try try not try and get people to change, but rather navigate the inevitability of workplace bias. And if you can navigate it, you can get to your destination, whatever that destination is. So when I say um, that we should focus on navigation, not eradication, that's what I mean. Equipping people with skills to navigate the inevitability of bias. And I'm going to just say one other thing because I think it's really important. In order to navigate unconscious bias in the workplace what we have to do is unsubscribe from this guilty perpetrator versus hapless victim model that is this idea that there are these people who look a certain way 
walk and talk a certain way. They are the guilty perpetrator. And there are these people who look a certain way and walk and talk a certain way. They are the hapless victim. This is what the whole world seems to be subscribed to. But the reality is, if we're all biased, right, then we all have the potential to be biased. So I, as a black male, minority, ethnic minority, have the potential to be biased towards you, um, yeah. a white male a majority member. Of course. Regardless of your seniority, I can be biased towards you. Right? I, I, you know, I can be biased towards you. But we don't say that. Because the majority, right, are too afraid, or rather, yeah, too afraid of of of, uh, of seeming unsympathetic to the equality cause, and so they subscribe, uh, just like the minorities do as well, right now, and um, they subscribe to this guilty perpetrator versus hapless victim model. And when you subscribe yeah. to that, the only solution is for someone to change. Those uh, 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 guilty by default majority have to change. Uh, and eradicate their biases in order for the traditional victim minority um, to have a, a prosperous career. And I'm saying that's wrong. What we need to do is equip people to navigate the inevitability of all of our biases. Yeah. Uh, you know, this isn't exactly what we're talking about, but this just rang in my mind as I was listening to you just now. Uh, right. One of the things I love is reading autobiographies. I oh. love to hear how uh, the people that we view as some of the change makers in the world, um, some of the decision makers, dealt with situations on their own terms based on the lens of their own truth. Now, I'm reminded of uh, a section of Dick Cheney's autobiography called, uh, what's it? it's up here on my bookshelf, In My Time. And I'm thinking of a story that he tells it was right in the very early days of Gerald Ford's administration, so like 1974. Uh, now, Cheney, as many know, was a protege of Donald Rumsfeld, who in the early days of the Ford administration became chief of staff, and he brought Cheney in as his assistant. Now, uh, in that office, you had Rumsfeld, who was the chief of staff, uh, Cheney, who was his deputy, and then Rumsfeld also had... Uh, a secretary, like an actual secretary who did secretary stuff. And one day the secretary went to Cheney and said, I don't, I don't know what to do about Don. He, uh, you know, he's constantly writing all these things on little post-it notes that he, it's like, he, he's got a thousand ideas. Some of these things contradict each other. I can't tell what his priorities are and I can't handle all this. So the secretary and Cheney, I cannot remember her name. I'd have to pull out the book and look at it. Uh, worked out a system where um, every day she and Cheney would get together for a little bit and go over all these post-it notes and essentially put them into two categories. The ones that actually require action and or are were aligned with Rumsfeld's actual strategic goals and his role as chief of staff. And just the other things that came out of Rumsfeld's mind that she didn't want to throw away so they just put that in another power. They set it aside in case he all of a sudden remembered it. She could pull it up and they could pick up from there. So one day, uh, Cheney's in his office down the hall there. And uh, Rumsfeld rings him and says, Cheney, get your ass down here now. So Cheney goes running down. And uh, you see Rumsfeld standing over the secretary's desk, glaring with his hands sticking out at these two piles of post-it notes. And he's looking at the secretary and he's looking at Cheney and he says, I just want you both to know, I know what you're doing. Now get back to work. Yeah. 
So let me un let me unpack what I got out of that. Okay. For someone in a someone on a fast track or somebody in a power position in the politics of say Washington D.C. or any capital in the world, I imagine it's the same in London over there, uh, yeah. and it's also the same in high powered corporate areas, particularly back fifty years ago when this happened. If you were to admit that you needed your secretary's help to manage your day instead of you being the one managing your secretary's day, that would have been the end of your career. Wow. So what it was is Rumsfeld in his own way acknowledging and expressing a form of gratitude for the help he was getting, but not being able to quite come out and say it that way. So, wow. why, this, so why this comes up is if we speak about this unconscious bias and how we navigate it, whether we're in the power position or the position that feels that it lacks power, we may find ourselves for the reasons having to do with each of those viewpoints challenged in our confidence to even broach the subject because then what does it say about us that we feel yeah. that we need to process this at all? Aren't we, aren't we strong? Aren't we in command of our careers? Don't we know how to handle stuff? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's actually, yeah, you're right. You hit the nail on the head there. That's the, the reason why, one of the reasons why people don't call out or don't, yeah, don't call out the sensed bias because of how they're going to be perceived, you know, um, uh, from a minority perspective, it's usually they don't want to be seen as an agitator, right? So it's yeah. kind of different. they don't want to be seen as an agitator. They don't want to be seen as a non-team player. They don't want to be seen as, crying wolf or playing the race card or playing the gender card or playing the sexual orientation card or the disability card so they don't right. say anything, right what they do and this is really important it's really important for everybody to understand what they tend to do is either not say anything and that just does doesn't do anything for their well-being and, and and creates internal tensions but what more often that they do is that they go and tell somebody else so it, let me use me as an example i'm right. a a black male, right? And um, let's say I sense racial bias in the office from my boss. Let's say you're my boss, right? And I sense racial bias, you you, you know, because of my difference, because I'm a minority, you don't give me the glamorous project or something. This is what I sense. I right. don't know, but I sense, right? Typically what happens is I won't say anything to you. What I is I will go and tell someone and that someone will tend to look like me. Does that make sense? Dollars and cents. That's who I'm comfortable with. So yeah. that, that person will then say, well, welcome. That, that, is that the only, is that the first time that's that happened to you? That's happened to me all the time, right? And so then that will reinforce the bias about the majority. Now, remember, I've sensed bias. I don't know. Bias is all sense. It's always sensed. You don't 100% know. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called unconscious bias. It would be called, it wouldn't be called implicit bias. It'd be called explicit bias. But it's not, right. unconscious bias is not, is always sensed. So I am talking to somebody, someone, right? And this is what we have you know, you can times this down by a million, right? You've got people talking to everybody that they should be talking to about the bias that they sense that they're receiving from somebody else. And the people that they tend to talk to are traditional victims or traditional recipients of bias like them, like them because those are the only people that they're comfortable having this conversation with. 
But the problem with that is it reinforces the bias about whoever that majority is. So in my case, it would reinforce the bias about the white majority because you're white male. So it would reinforce reinforce the bias about the white majority, right? So it gets, yeah. but it gets even worse. Watch, watch. This gets even worse. Frequently, when I sense bias, right? I think that you can't tell that I sense bias. But in many cases, like in that example, you can tell. You pick, it's palpable. My, what I describe as reverse bias, is palpable to you. But of course, you don't want to tell me because you don't want to seem unsympathetic to the equality cause. So guess what you do, right? You I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to find another white guy who's classified as an administrative assistant commissary with him, yes. <laughs> exactly, and you're yeah. going to tell them which will- <laughs> Which will, which will reinforce the bias about minorities having chips on their shoulders, right? Right, And so never the twain shall meet. And this is where we live. Now, when you times that little scenario that I've explained to you, what you begin to realize is that we have a diversity and exclusion nightmare on our hands. Not, yeah. not, not, ne- never mind inclusion. We have a diversity exclusion nightmare because whenever we sense bias, we never call it out. The fact of the matter is, Half of the time that we're sensing bias, it's in our imagination, right? We don't actually know. And we could never probably know unless we act properly know, unless we actually call it out. So the question then becomes, well, how do you call it out, right? And yeah. oh, well, the question then becomes, well, why aren't people calling it out? And the reason they're not calling it out is because they fear um, that they're going to get the other person's backup. That's that. That's why. And, and, and that fear, that backup is what I mentioned earlier, is what I describe as defensive fragility. There's a, a book out there by one of your compatriots or country people called White Fragility. Have you heard of this book? Yes, I have. Right. Yeah. This idea, right, that um, the majority, right, the white majority uh, uh, feel uh, uncomfortable, uh, you know, become defensive when confronted with the ill with the reality of racial inequality right this yeah. is this is the premise of this theory this book right um that the majority become you know become uncomfortable and defensive when confronted with uh, an irrational and fragile when confronted with the realities of racial inequality and it's that it's a white thing and that in order for uh, things to be more equal and better they need to change. They need to shift. Well, this is the biggest, one of the biggest exponents of what I described as a guilty perpetrator versus hapless victim model, right? What it's saying is that there's this guilty person out there by default, right? Who looks a certain way, walks and talks in a certain way. They are the guilty perpetrator. And there's these other people that, that, that are the hapless victim. Well, that might be the, you could argue that that could be the case outside of work. But in yeah. the workplace, in the workplace, right, it's multidirectional. You know, this idea that there's some kind of fragility in 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 in, a, in someone because of the uh, the the color of their skin, or because you 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 confront them with something which paints them in a negative light. Well, if you confronted me with something which painted me in a negative light, so for example, let's say you said to me, I know you wouldn't say this, right? But I'm just going to make this up. Let's say you said to me, oh, you minorities, you know, you have a chip on your shoulder. I would demonstrate the exact traits, right, that um, this author has attributed to the white majority. So if you said, Bookie, you've got a chip on your shoulder, 
right? People like you who look like you have a chip on your shoulder. I might say, you're damn right I've got a chip on my shoulder. Never mind a chip on my shoulder. I've got a boulder on my shoulder. And it should be a tree. You know, you have no idea what it is to be, and I could go into one, right? But that's exactly the same traits that a majority person would say when a similar thing, but, you know, obviously different, different, uh, uh, they talk differently. But it's exactly the same thing that a majority person would say if you said that if you confronted them with racial bias. And that's not a white thing or a black thing. That's human. Right. Does that make sense? Well, it, it, may, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a meme that was going around a couple months ago. I cannot, I can't remember the caption on it, but basically what it showed um, was a group of, uh, you know, white people that looked like they were at some place like Martha's Vineyard or somewhere, having some high-end <laughs> dinner, sitting out on the veranda or something like that. And, uh, and the conversation around it was in terms of, is this racist? And I saw I, I saw a discussion thread under it that I thought was pretty interesting. And I think I contributed to it a little bit as well. Now, my reaction to it was, we need context here. If this was a family gathering, you know, the way, at least the way it is in many cultures, and it still is to a significant degree in the United States, chances yeah. are, if you're family, you're all going to be within the same or similar racial classification. That's just the way it tends to be. And that's, that's all around the world. Uh, right. Amer America has no, uh, has no uh, exclusive on that, nor does the United Kingdom or any, anything else. Uh, so if, I mean, what were they supposed to do? If it's a family gathering, what are they supposed to do? Find some black people and find some Asians to make it more diverse. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, and, and the point being is, you can get really absurd with this sometimes, and uh, and what if, and what if this was a, like a reunity of? Uh, I mean, these were middle aged people mostly. So what if it was like a reunion of a fraternity or a sorority? Well, these are the people they belong to their fraternity or sorority with. It's just who they were with at the time. Uh, you don't like retroactively add different members just to mix things up. I mean, it's it's who it was frozen in time, and those are the people who go to the reunions. Uh, uh, and you could also look at, um, uh, and actually, I think I did ask this question from a thought provoking perspective: is if this was a if this was an area because there are a lot of places in the United States that are ninety seven percent white. Chances are, if you're going to be having a dinner in those areas, it's going to be a bunch of white people. I'm also aware that there are places, and I've been to some of these places, where it might be 97 black or 96 Asian or 94% Indian or something like that. Chances are, who do you think you're going to find at those family dinners? Who do you think you're going to find at those cookouts? Yeah, but what, 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 what they would say, what, what, what others would say, would say, oh, yeah, but... What he doesn't realize is that, yeah, the air, you know, they would go and they'd say the areas that he's seeing, which are predominantly white, of course, yeah. there's not any black people there, but those areas uh, would have black people if there was more fairness around the distribution of, of wealth and land. And they'd get into all of that, which, you know, arguably is correct. But that's right. not really where I'm going with it. Where I'm going with all of this is that in the workplace, on a day to day basis, right? If I misinterpret your behavior towards me as driven by bias, if I misinterpret, so let's say you don't put me on, you don't give me a glamorous project, and I think you didn't give it to me because I'm different from everybody else, right? Yeah. Right? And I'm wrong. You just didn't give it to me because I'm not good at my job or 
because um, you were going to give me something even better later. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that, yeah, right. because yeah, you, you, you yeah. went where I was thinking you were going to go. Maybe, I, and may, what if I was thinking, you know, I didn't put Bookie on this project because I've got bigger things in mind for him. I don't, exactly. I don't, I don't need him messing around with this, with this other stuff. Uh, we have people who, where that's their center of their intersection, their brilliance and their passion. I've got this other thing coming up next month, and Bookie's my man on that. Uh, yeah, I, did, I did. I I'm just not in a position to tell him yet. Exactly. But if I misinterpret, if I misinterpret that as a as a negative bias towards me, right? What's my misinterpretation based on? Well, let me tell you what it's based on. Right? It's based on, uh, my, uh you know, my my conditioning about people about people uh, people like you. It's based on a wider narrative about people like you. Right? right, and it's based on my past experience. So maybe I had a boss before who was biased towards me. So what happens is I shortcut to what happened before, right? Which is triggered by my fear of right being, of, of being mistreated, and that becomes my bias. So the point I'm trying to make is that there is in the workplace, right? I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about in the workplace. In the there, workplace, yeah, there is a multi-directional nature to workplace bias. And the only way that you can address, right, this uh, address and navigate workplace bias is to accept the multidirectional nature of workplace bias. And the problem is, is that a lot of people out there will say, yeah, but as a minority, um, I don't have the power to be biased to someone, to, to uh, some, uh, 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 my boss who's likely uh, uh, to be a member of the majority, right, who, yeah. who will be my boss and be more powerful. So I don't have the power to be um, biased towards them. But that's like saying, I'm a, let's say I'm a, a new starter, a graduate, right? And you're the chair, chairperson of the company. And I sense bias from you. And I kick you in your leg. You're not going to go, oh, he kicked me in my leg. I'm more powerful than him. So I'm just going to let it go. You're going to go, ow. You're going to go, ow, that hurt me. And you might kick me back. Or, or you might, you know, disengage, right? Yeah. Um, and, the reason that you're doing that is because it hurt you, right? So that shows that I can be, I can inflict pain in the same way that you can inflict pain to me. Maybe I can't take your job away from you, but in the moment, and this is the key, in the moment, I can be as biased towards you as you can be as biased towards me. And when I'm biased towards you, you know, you're not impervious to that because you earn, a, a, you know, a 800 grand more than I do. Right. And, and I and I may be asking, whatever do to Buki? Whatever exactly. do to Buki? Exactly. Yeah, it's like it's like I've, I, I thought he and I have always been cool. Like, what's up with this? Exactly. And so my point is that so that can happen. I can be biased towards you, but you can be biased towards me. So then what we need to do is find a way of because we're talking about unconscious bias. What we need to do is find a way of calling it out. In other words, if I sense bias from you, I should be able to call you out but allow for my misinterpretation. And if you sense bias from me, you should be able to call me out and allow for my allow for your misinterpretation. But at right. the moment at the moment we don't do that. All these organizations, schools, business schools, they create these strategies which are based on a guilty perpetrator hapless victim model. That is by default you're guilty. By default because of what's happened centuries ago, uh because of um uh, you're tied into a system that is designed to hold uh -huh. certain people back. You by by default you're guilty, and by default I'm a I'm a I'm a hapless victim. But actually, what that's doing is right. It demeans 
the minority. It demeans the minority because it keeps them as a bunch of hapless victims, which is the most one of the most strongest and demeaning uh, uh, ways you could look at a minority, right, or anyone. And it demonizes the majority. And it says that by default, I don't care who you are, right? If you're part of the majority, you're guilty of workplace bias. And I'm saying, if we're all biased, how could that be the case? So if we're all yeah. biased, we have to equip people with the skills to navigate it. And the only way that I know, well, sorry, the most effective way of navigating bias, right, when confronted with it, is to simply say, I don't understand. That's it. Just tell the person that you don't understand. It's the purest, it's the most unscathed place that you can come from. So when, right. a, when, when you sense bias, you should call it out. But the way that you call it out is by simply saying, I don't understand. And we call that dispassionate developmental inquiry. I don't understand, Bookie. Why, why'd you kick me? <laughs> I mean, man, 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 I, thought, I thought me and you was cool. I mean, what's going on, dude? What's going on, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a way of doing it. There's a way, there's a <laughs> but essentially, that's the gist of it, right? The gist of it is is to so, for example, if I um, if you didn't give me a, a, a role, right, and I think and I sent something untoward, right, I would say to you, just I might say to you, instead of focusing on the issue of bias, what I might say to you, or the sorry, the problem of bias, what I might say to you is. Just for my own, just for my development, right? Just for my understanding. Could you just explain to me what the criteria for the role is, right? That's a di what I, that's an I don't understand type question. That's a developmental inquiry question. And because yeah. you're likely to be my boss, right, or senior, right, that's going to invoke your natural instinct to give direction. So you're even going to say, well, let me explain. Or you're going to say to me, well, exactly what don't you understand? And now we get into a sticky conversation about bias, which before we couldn't get into. And as long as we stay on that I don't understand type questioning or dispassionate developmental inquiry, what's going to happen is that the bias will call itself out. Now, here's the thing. The bias will call itself out, but it will be either your bias or my reverse bias towards you if you manage that conversation effectively. And that's what we show people how to do. Yeah, and, and, and see, I, I love how you approach that so you i mean so continuing this this theoretical example of why didn't i put you on that project for example if i was your boss yeah. uh now you're looking at it from it's you know you're saying i don't understand but you're starting with a conversational point that doesn't necessarily pin either of us into a narrative you're just you're actually starting with well uh you, you might say something well i, I don't i don't understand i uh, that that seemed like the type of project that would be right up my alley. Uh, uh, like, you know, what what were the qualifications? What were you looking for? Exactly. And, so and, and 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 that and that and I could and I could say, you know, I can't tell you about this yet, but there's this other thing coming up next month that you're actually going to be heading up. You could do. I, I, I'm just not in a position to tell you that yet. Uh, keep you know, but. Uh, but so I, so I didn't want you getting distracted with this other project because we we got this we got this other thing or it could just simply be uh you know just a more generic version of well there are other things that we want to keep you free for that uh that we feel uh are going to be even better opportunities for you we don't want you getting bogged down with too many projects so I might say 
well, you're already you're already in charge of this thing. I didn't want to spread you too thin. Exactly. Or you could or you could also say, yeah, I think you're right. Or you could also say, I don't think you're ready. You know, and yeah. if I and if I and if, if you said that to me, if you know, using the I don't understand, I what we call the IDU methodology, I would yeah. then say, if I think you're wrong, and I and I'm sensing there's unconscious bias that you're not even real, you don't even realize, I would say, well, what what just for my own understanding or just for my own development, could you tell me why you don't think I'm ready? Yeah, and then you tell me, and then if I still don't understand, I'll say, well, yeah, but look, I. I, I've done this and I've done this and he's done that and she's done that and I've done all of these and they're forward, but you haven't put me forward. So I still don't understand. And then you'll explain and we'll keep doing that until the bias calls it out. And sometimes it's rever it's my reverse bias, but sometimes it is unconscious bias, but we need to have that conversation. The problem is now what people do is they sense bias and then you've got all these I don't want to be disrespectful to some of these institutions, but you have all these institute educational institutions who say, oh yeah, they must, these people must have a safe space, right? To yeah. don't do it. And then what I do is without having that dialogue with you, I go and talk to someone and say, Yeah, Adam, man, this guy's funny. Man. He's doing, he's playing the whole, doing the whole race thing. You know what I mean? He's not giving me the role and blah, blah. And then they say, Yeah, sure. Yeah, I know what you mean. And then I'll say, Well, let, well let, let's talk to HR and let's get a mediator in and let's, you know, and everybody's walking on eggshells. And it's just ridiculous. When if I, we could just have a conversation, and this is what psychological safety is all about. If we could right. have an effective conversation, you and I could collaboratively sort this out on our own. And then if let's say we have that conversation and we can't sort it or I can't sort it out with you and I feel I'm being wronged, then I can go to HR with a trail of a discussion. But at the moment, people are just going to people and talking about what they sense is bias when they don't actually know it's bias. And it's yeah. the perception of more bias out there than there actually is. And this is where we live. And it's right, great. right. Yeah. Now we, yeah, now we bring in these safe spaces. You know, we hear the the jokes about them, and I think it's because sometimes it's actually is the case. You go in this room where they play happy music and they have coloring books and things like that, so you can get in touch with your inner empath or something like that, and you don't have to worry about aggressions or people giving you funny looks or something like that. And uh, there, and there are a number of different views on that. One of the views, of course, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, is come on people you're adults you 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 really need to go color in a coloring book because yeah. <laughs> because you got passed over for a promotion or because your your boss was so nice to you that you thought they had an agenda and now you're traumatized come on exactly exactly i mean look you know what it, 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 look, let's not let's not you know let's not go the other way it can yeah. be traumatizing if you just, if you, it, well, it definitely is traumatizing if you sense that that's the reason why, you know, you've been discrim un unconsciously discriminated against and you're not going anywhere. It can be traumatizing. But what I'm saying is that it doesn't have to be traumatizing because the minute you sense bias towards you, you should call it out. But the key is to do it effectively. But of course, nobody knows how to do it effectively. And if you're my boss, Adam, as well, if you pick up my reverse bias, you must call me out, right? So the burden is, I always say to people, you've got a 50-50 chance of being part of the problem or part of the solution, right? And that what that means is that if you sense my reverse bias towards you, you have to call me out. 
right? And if I sense your bias towards me, I have to call you out. But in both situations, we have to allow for our misinterpretation. And the way to do that is to come from a place of dispassionate developmental inquiry. In other words, say some variation of I don't understand. Yeah. And so that's essentially why you titled the book, I Don't Understand. Exactly. Exactly. Because, that, yeah. Because, well, let me tell you why that and because I didn't understand. You know, I said I experienced at the top of this, I said I, I experienced by racial bias. The problem is when I say that people think he's a black guy, so he must have had lots of bias towards him. But sometimes it was my bias towards the majority. You know, I would make mistakes and then I'd realize later on that, oh, my God, I got that wrong. And I was cursing this guy out if he could hear what I was saying. And the guy was actually trying to give me the business or give me the deal. So, so there is a multidirectional nature to bias. And um, I didn't understand how to how to deal with that. And that's why I came up with the methodology. Right, 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 right. I, I, I follow that completely. So um, I'm thinking myself, and this may be something our listeners are thinking as well, that the next time I sense career stifling bias, like, what should I... Like, what should I do? Uh, is it just simply a matter of taking it from the what we call the I don't understand approach? Is there more to it? Is there an analytical side to it? Now, I'm not in a career, so to speak. I'm an entrepreneur. But there's opportunities for me to run into unconscious bias, certainly. Yeah. yeah. So, look, you know, look, I'm going to give you the edited highlights version, right? Because I, I want people to have something after this, right? So uh, there are four steps four steps to this when you sense bias there are basically four steps right step one in, in terms of navigating it step one right is to set your mindset set your mindset so what i mean by that is that you have you, you know you have to drop you leave any baggage at the door baggage that you have every right to be carrying based on what you can see around you so what i mean by that is racial bias baggage you need to drop it Gender bias baggage, you need to drop it. Even though you have every right to have it. Um, uh, disability baggage, you need to drop it. Minority sexual orientation baggage, you need to drop it. You can't bring 400 years of slavery to the table when you sense bias. You can't bring the ills of, 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 uh, uh, of gender, un gender discrimination to the table when you sense bias. You can't bring the ills of minority sexual orientation. You can't bring the ills of... Um, the colonial empire to the table you have to drop all that stuff right you can pick right. it up on the way out but you need to drop it and the reason why you need to drop it there are many reasons i could ask you and you could probably give me them but there are many reasons but the number one is as far as our process is concerned the, the the number one reason that you have to drop it is the only way that you can get to step two so the question then becomes well what is step two so step one is set your mindset. That's leave your baggage at the door baggage that you have every right to be carrying based on what you can see around you you've got to leave it at the door right? Step two, right? Is then that because it enables you to go to step two. So the question is, what is step two? And step two is give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Just give everybody the benefit of the doubt, regardless of how certain you are of unconscious discrimination, unconscious bias towards you, right? You've got to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, right? Assume that you're wrong and you're misinterpreting the situation. But here's the rub. Call it out anyway. So give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but call it out anyway, which brings us to step three. How do you call it out? Well, the way to call it out 
is to simply say, I don't understand. That's it. Just tell him you don't understand. Like I said, it's the purest, it's the most unscathed place you can come from. We call this dispassionate developmental inquiry. So step one, set your mindset. Step two, give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but call them out anyway. How do you call them out? Simply engage in dispassionate developmental inquiry. In other words, say, I don't understand. And what you're going to find is that either your bias, sorry, either their bias, the bias that you, sorry, what you'll find is that the bias that you sense will call itself out and it will either be theirs or yours, right? And once it, so you don't have to say you gave the job to him, you didn't give it to me because of X, Y, and Z. You just need to engage in I don't understand type dialogue, right? And what's going to happen? The bias will call itself out, either theirs or yours, your reverse bias. But then you can move to step four. And that is to collaboratively agree next steps. That's it. So those are the four steps. Step one, set your mindset. Step two, give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but call them out anyway. Step three, engage in dispassionate developmental inquiry. In other words, I don't understand type questioning, right? And step four is is once you've established what the situation is, right? Um, you can collaboratively agree next steps. And if we go back to step three, I just want to say one other thing. When in the course of your conversation and your discussion around court, you know, this uh, I don't understand type discussion, focus on the issue at hand, not the wider problem of bias or underrepresentation, because that's bringing your baggage to the table. So the key is just focus on the issue at hand. So if you're not given a job, Right. For example, ask what the criteria for the job is. Right. That's what that's that's what that's a a, 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 a dispassionate development type question. Right. Ask what the yeah. criteria. And then a the person will tell you. So those are the four steps that I think anybody listening today, if they engage, if they sense bias and they engage in dispassionate developmental inquiry following that process, what they're going to find is that the bias will call it itself out the other person's or theirs, and then they can collaboratively agree next steps. Absolutely. So I think this is actually a great place to wrap up. So uh, what I want to do is I want to extend an invitation to our listeners. You've got to check out, uh, you've got to check out Bookie Musaku's website. So I'm going to spell his name for you because (laughs) it's the URL of his website. For those of you who are out running, jogging, or streaming this in the background while you're doing something else, as many podcast listeners do, and I do sometimes. So it's www.bookiemasaku.com. That's spelled B-U-K-I-M-O-S-A-K-U.com. B-U-K-I-M-O-S-A-K-U.com. Bookie Masaku. And when you visit his website... You're going to see more about his book called I Don't Understand, Navigating Unconscious Bias in the Workplace. You'll have the opportunity to uh, get a, I mean, depending on when you're listening to this, there may be a preview there. There may be the opportunity to uh, get your own copy. I know it's available on bookshelves right now. And uh, he's also got a great blog and some articles that I've uh, just been sort of thumbing through a little bit while listening to him share his brilliance and his passion. And one thing that might be of particular interest to you is the bias compass, which comes with a bias navigation test. Just for kicks, I'm going to take that myself. As you know, you, as you and I cool. agree, every yeah. human being 
has a certain level of bias to them. In some cases, it is indeed unconscious. It's how we were programmed. It's how we were socialized. We don't even know it was there. And I would even venture to say that some of the people who planted the bias in us didn't know that they were doing so. They didn't know that they carried the bias. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that's the thing. It's such a subtle thing. And that's why I think this conversation was so valuable. So, Bookie Misaku, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor. And believe me, an education. Oh, thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.